You're listening to episode 152 of the God Center Mom podcast with me, Heather McFadden, and today I have the pleasure of chatting with Julie Manning. She's a wife, a sweet mom to three young boys, she's a marathon runner, a pediatric nurse practitioner, and the author of a new book, My Heart, Every Beat Surrendered to Our Unchanging God, where she shares her story as a mom who is diagnosed with a heart condition which could result in sudden cardiac death. You know, I prayed a lot for more and more faith. Honestly, he was very faithful to increase my faith, to believe that he is who he says he is, and that his character never changes. And if his character never changes, then he's a God that's trustworthy, and he's a God that's real, and he's a God that loves me like he says he loves me in his Bible. You see Instagram posts and people share the words, God is good, he is faithful, he's unchanging. But when you've walked the road that Julie Manning has and you can say those words, my hope is that it means more. To you listening, I know it means more to Julie. I know that she can say that even though the worst of the worst has happened to her that she can imagine so far, even though her mind went to hard places and that she dealt with serious depression, that God pulled her out of it. And that you will see through her story that God is good and that he is faithful and that he is unchanging. My second hope is that just as Julie has had to think through being more intentional and the perspective she's been given that maybe that day is her last day with her husband, her last day with her kids, that you will have that same perspective going into your day that you will think, if this was the last time I saw my kids, if this was my last day, how would I want to spend it? And not in a guilt-ridden way and not in a overbearing too high of a bar intentionality way, but in a graceful stewarding your time way. Uh, I know that I've had that shakeup in my own life recently, and I never want to add bricks to you moms who already feel the pressure to do all the things and be all the things, but I also recognize that this time on earth matters and that I know you're women of intention And so I hope that you're inspired by Julie. She has this sweet tradition of writing letters to her boys. And she's just a precious mom. I definitely want you to check out the video she and I mentioned. It's in the show notes. If you want to get the show notes straight to your inbox, go to my site, godcentermom.com, and enter your email there. All right, before we get into my conversation, let's give a shout-out to our partner this month, Jelly Telly. Want to teach your kids what it means to live out their faith, but you don't know where to start? Well, check out the newest Jelly Telly 5-Minute Family Devotional Plan. It's about the fruit of the Spirit, and it's the perfect solution. It's easy to use. It's a devotional plan that will guide your family time. It has a fun cartoon clip about the fruit of the Spirit, a Bible verse, discussion questions, and prayer prompts. All you have to do is get your kiddos gathered around and press play. It's really that simple. You can just watch it on your TV, your phone, your tablet. It's available on iOS, Android, Apple TV, Roku, Kindle. You can get these devotionals plus stream over 100 Christian shows and movies for only $4.99 a month or $49.99 for the whole year. Go to godcentermom.com backslash jellytelly and don't forget to use the special coupon code GODCENTERED, all caps, just for God Center Mom listeners and you get $5 off or your first month of Jelly Telly free. Go check it out. Let me know if you do. All right, let's get to my conversation with Julie. Here we go. Hey, Julie, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Hi, Heather. Thanks for having me. Well, when I read your story and watched your little video that Austin Stone made, I thought, okay, this gal, we got to get her on the show. 
one, because you're so cute to watch with your boys. Oh, you're so funny. I mean, I was like, okay, I used to be fun and cute back in the day. (laughs) How can I channel some inner Julie Manning so that I can um, remember to enjoy these boys? But then your story (laughs) and just how God has centered you in the midst of... um, Circumstances no one would like to be in, uh, but that you're seeing God and finding him to be secure in it. It comes from a place, like I told you before we got on the call, it's different if someone who's never been through anything hard says, God is good and hope in Jesus. But for someone who's in the midst of trials to say it um, Mm -hmm. helps us who fear the um, worst of the worst happening. You know, we we build our lives to protect ourselves from those things happening. And when they do, to know that God can be trusted, whew, it's good. I don't don't think any of us would hop to the front of the line of suffering. I think all of us kind of want to shy and like when the teacher calls on you and needs an answer, no one's going to raise their hand and be like, oh, I'll take the next next out of suffering. Yeah. You know, sign me up for that one. You know, no one wants it, but in this world, we're going to face it. And none of us are exempt from going through periods of suffering. So to catch everyone listening up, let's jump into your story. Um, All righty. <laughs> so why don't you start telling us um, when, when did... When did this suffering journey start? Sure. So when John and I um, showed up to the hospital to on the day that our second son was born, um, I basically went in for um, a cesarean section because I had had a C-section with our first little guy as well. And so, you know, we weren't as nervous going into the second one because we had kind of been there, done that. We know what to expect. And so we were just really enjoying ourselves and laughing. And and all of a sudden, we're ready to go back to the OR. And so I get escorted back. And, you know, the medical staff does their thing to get me ready. And I just remember laying there on the table. And honestly, everything around me started feeling fuzzy. Mm-hmm. The voices around me, around me um, felt like they were in the distance. You know, it's kind of like the, you know, this is probably not the perfect example, but, you know, Charlie Brown yeah, and the teacher saying, wah, 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 wah. Yeah, yeah every, it, it all kind of sounded like that to me. And I just felt dizzy and lightheaded. And and so I, you know, had spent the, the previous years as um, an ICU nurse. And so... When I'm not feeling well, my first instinct is to look over at the cardiac monitor and I saw that my heart rate was, or my heart rhythm was in a not so good rhythm point. And as I, you know, kind of had my eyes rolled to the back of my head, I, my thoughts were going, you know, they're going to start CPR on me. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, thankfully they didn't somehow my heart spontaneously you know, came out of that heart rhythm on its own, but there was definitely an urgency to, you know, kind of get Hunter out of me and get him safe and sound. And then the doctors, you know, you know, the anesthesiologist did his thing to try to get me stabilized and get me closed up so that I could go to recovery. And, 
in the recovery room, they did all sorts of testing and everything appeared to be okay. Um, my heart function was fine. You know, they thought that maybe I was just having this arrhythmia because of stress due to the surgery. Um, but it definitely kind of piqued their um, concern as to whether or not I needed further monitoring from a heart standpoint. And of course, you know, several hours into the recovery room, I think it was five hours before I was able to actually see Hunter for the first time. Mm. Um, and, and so, you know, I was adamant. I was like, you guys, I was like, I know how this works. I go, you can put a monitor on me and I can stay on the mother baby floor and, you know, I'll alert you if I start feeling bad. I was like, you don't need to stick me on a cardiology floor where my baby can't be with me. And mm. so in my stubbornness and in them <laughs> <laughs> realizing that there was more than one way to monitor me, um, I was able to, you know, stay on mother baby and be monitored from afar, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, while in the hospital. And so, you know, everything looked fine. I didn't have any more episodes and we got discharged in normal time frame and went home and started trying to figure out what it was like to have two kids under the age of two um, at home. And I was asked to follow up with a cardiologist um, at the six-week mark um, just as a double check, you know, hey, things look fine on that day. We don't think anything all, you know, should go on, but just in case, let's see you again in six weeks to, ch to check on you. And so John and I went to that appointment and, you know, by then I started having some symptoms, but all of my symptoms I was having could have been explained away by, you know, dehydration or, you know, being out of shape from being pregnant, you know, things like getting short of breath, still walking up a flight of stairs, getting, getting dizzy in a hot shower. Um, and lo and behold, they did another ultrasound of my heart at the follow-up appointment and, um, you know, I got a phone call within an hour or so of my appointment saying that I was in full-blown heart failure and that I needed to be started on medications right away. And my, it was a huge turning point for my life, um, in more ways than one, but just the shock of feeling like you're a healthy, independent, self-sufficient, productive mom, successful to oh my goodness, my heart's failing. And, you know, if it doesn't stabilize and it keeps deteriorating, like I'm going to need a heart transplant, you know, kind of turns your world upside down. And you're looking in the living room and seeing your six-week-old newborn and your toddler. And what thoughts are going through your mind when you're struck with the words heart failure and waitlist for heart transplant? When you look at your boys. Honestly, when I looked at him, I was like, I don't want to leave him yet. Yeah. Yeah. I want to watch him grow up. I mean, all those things that, you know, moms love their kids and you would do anything to protect them and you want to be there for them. Mm. And in my heart, I just, selfishly didn't want to pass away and them never knowing me. So many emotions that every mom listening, if she tries to put herself in your place, 
it's overwhelming to consider the weight of that and the conflict between what we desire and what we imagine. When you have little kids, you don't imagine leaving them. Sure. Whole goal. I feel like there's even hormonally something that happens in pregnant (laughs) postpartum women to protect your children at all costs. And the mama bear is like fired up. Um, and so what were, what were your next stages? Like as you come to grips with the dailiness of raising these young boys, which a lot of listeners here have two young kids and that in itself is beyond overwhelming um, and then you're struck with keeping yourself healthy and keeping your heart functioning. Sure. Um, I will say that initially, you know, time stopped for a little bit and, um, you just kind of live moment by moment. And wanting to hold on to those moments with the kids, every little smile, every little, you know, mommy, will you come sit with me? Or you're like, absolutely. I don't have to do laundry right now. I want to hang out with you, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so initially when I got diagnosed with heart failure, that's kind of where I stood. And then a few weeks later when I in, I had to go in for a surgery to try to fix my arrhythmia or my irregular heart rate, heart rhythm, it was then that the routine type of procedure ended up not being so routine and I had to be shocked a couple times and was told later that afternoon that I needed to have a defibrillator placed inside my chest wall because I was then at risk for sudden cardiac death. It was like, so Lord, You gave me heart failure. Okay, so I'm started on this medicine, and I'm going to trust that you can, because you are able. um, I mean, the Lord creates every cell in our body. He can talk to those cells and tell them what to do. I mean, the waves obey Jesus' voice, you know? And, And so believing that God could make my heart stronger, and I don't know, like, in, in those initial moments of being told I had heart failure, like I still had faith that God was like able to, to strengthen my heart again. And then I go in for, you know, this procedure and told, no, you're actually at risk for sudden cardiac death because of your arrhythmia, which is a second issue with the heart. Not only is it a muscle issue, but now it's an electrical issue. It's like, okay, now I'm two for two. Okay, Lord, I know you can talk to my electrical system too, and I know you can fix that. But at the same time, you're like, you never know when your heart's going to just stop on its own. Mm. After that second blow was really when, I mean, I struggled. Mm. I I got stuck in the what ifs. I got the stuck in the in the darkness of John's walking out the door. You know, am I going to see you this afternoon? Like when you get home from work tonight, am I going to see you? Am I kissing you? Am I saying goodbye to you? You know, my heart had stabilized and not further deteriorated um, by that point, which we were thankful for. You know, I was allowed to start walking again, and so I would push the kids in the stroller in our neighborhood, And but I would wonder, you know, am I going to collapse while pushing them in the stroller? You know, all these, all these thoughts that were just negative thoughts that really just had me spiral down into this place of depression and when it felt like I was stuck in this dark hole and didn't really want to climb out. 
because I was scared and fear consumed me. And, you know, I can't sit here and tell you that, you know, I found freedom and I never struggled in the diagnosis because I absolutely did. And it took a long time to get out of that. And I can't, and I, (laughs) I'd be lying if I said that Julie pulled herself out of a place of darkness because I sure didn't. I mean, the Lord... (laughs) The Lord was the one that rescued me from depression and darkness and the what if, the the wrong what if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Tell us about that journey for the person who's maybe in their own medical um, place and it's causing depression or isolation. I have several mom friends that have had their own bouts with illness that, you know— it's one thing when we have parents that get sick or grandparents that get sick, but when mom gets, when we're the ones, yeah. it, it has these ripple effects on our whole family. And, and then, like you said, the isolation, the depression, the, the what ifs and the fear that can paralyze us. And so how, you said God pulled you out, but what did that look like for you? Um, it was a slow process. It wasn't a, cri- a quick rescue. Hmm. You know, I believe in Jesus. I believe that God is who he says he is. But I didn't necessarily want to pursue that during that season. You know, I had access to the Bible on my nightstand, but I wasn't motivated to open it up and seek out truth. Um, But God was very, very faithful, and He used um, the community around us and friends who would send me scriptures, whether it was via email or if they dropped a note off at the door and or even sent a text message, it was like I couldn't escape God's Word. God's Word came after me even when I didn't want to open up my Bible. Slowly over time, that truth kind of replaced the negative thoughts that I was spiraling in. It it was two steps forward, one step back. In a way, I would, you know, over the few months, I would have a day of where I would actually laugh and put a smile on my face, not out of my me working at it, but it actually coming natural. You know, I remember John and I went to dinner one night and we were actually laughing, having fun. And it was like, oh my gosh, I haven't done this in a really long time. It was just little moments and then starting to celebrate the little moments and, and thanking God for giving me joy in those moments. I'd be amiss to, to say I didn't still struggle with fear from time to time, but I will say that I live in joy 90% of the time now versus back then it was 99% in the darkness. And so, but I think that we will continue to fight fear and continue to rage the war between our soul and our flesh until we're face to face with Jesus. And we don't have to battle the sin of this world, the darkness of this world and the unknowns of this world. And you have these boys and you said you, you long to raise them for them to know you, for them to know these truths that you're learning, um, for when in the future they walk through their own dark places. Mm -hmm. So you started writing them letters and I love them. They're in the book. Um, when, when did you start that? Did you start the minute you got the diagnosis and then what, what was your plan with those letters? You know, I, I started journaling again, just my personal journal when Hunter was about six weeks old when I had really hit rock bottom, needed to process things. I'm a better processor when I write things down than when I actually speak them out loud. And so I just felt freedom to write whatever I was feeling and not try to guard what I was or filter what I was actually saying out loud, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
And so I started journaling my own feelings and prayers to the Lord. It was probably the spring of the next year. So Hunter would have been about eight months old and Noah would have been two. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to write, I'm going to write them letters. And so I keep journals for each one of the boys and I write in them and I don't, I don't write every day, every week. I try to write in them once a month. I write about you know, who they are, what they're doing, what I'm seeing in them, the character that I'm seeing in them, you know, and I even confess my own sin to them in my letters to them, you know, whether, you know, mommy got angry about this and, and, or mommy was selfish in this or (laughs) the Mm -hmm. list could go on and on. But, um, I just want them to, I write these letters to them so they will remember their childhood they will remember the funny, silly things that they do that I want them to remember in, in a little ways like, you know, I don't know when God's going to take me home. And so I want to be able to communicate to them as often and as much as I can before that day happens. You know, we, I joke, I have a couple of really good friends and we get together once a week. I joke all the time. I go, you realize that I may be the last one standing out of the three of us, right? I was like, but if God makes me live till I'm 88 years old, like he's going to have some explaining to do as to why I wake up every morning going, I wonder if this is the last day, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) but I want to live that way. I want to live not expecting tomorrow because then it makes me become more intentional with conversations. It allows me to, you know, not spend time on frivolous things. Not that frivolous things are bad. It's just, I want to be purposeful in my days. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, looking at the Julie before the diagnosis and the, uh, the tragedy that, you know, you've been walking through, you were a pretty high intensity, go getter, marathon runner, um, pediatric cardio, cardiology, ICU nurse. That's like very specific. Um, (laughs) go-getter type of gal. Like you, like you said, very capable, get it done, checklists. It's not like you're very healthy. It's not like, um, this heart condition comes from a place of not taking care of your body. And, and so then you come face to face with living each day as a gift. Absolutely. And for the gal who's listening, she doesn't have the heart condition. Yeah. That heart condition but she might have the heart condition of the go-getter, work, 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 effort, effort, pride, um, striving. And it's unimaginable to her to live any other way. And your circumstances forced you to choose the live day-to-day, to to be more intentional, to be fully present, to choose the kids over the laundry. Uh, What words do you have for that woman listening? I will just repeat God's word. Um, Life is a breath. Our life is brief. And the Lord has numbered our days before we were ever conceived. And so my life, regardless of a diagnosis or feeling the defibrillator in my chest, like my life is no different than any other person's on this earth. We don't know when our day is. But God does. I don't want to waste those days. Just the other morning, I was reading about 
the parable of um, the ladies that were waiting for the bridegroom. Mm-hmm. And five of them, well, they all had their lanterns, but five of them brought extra oil and five of them did not. I just want to be prepared and I want to be ready to meet my King and Savior face to face. And I don't want to leave anything behind. You know, God has given us all races to run. I want to run it hard. It doesn't mean that I'm going to run it fast, but I want to run it hard. And I want to live this day for Jesus. You know, I don't need to live it for Julie anymore. You know, I did. I spent, I spent way too many years of my life living life for Julie. You know, I'm thankful for the circumstance that has caused me to shift to really live for Jesus, not just say it, but actually live it out. And I don't live it out perfectly. I make mistakes all the time and I'm still selfish and I'm still prideful. But those, the sin of pride and the sin of selfishness is just a little um, more in my face. And I am more convicted quicker to see that when that happens now. For a person, for a person who's listening, who that, that live for Jesus or live for Julie, what are those two? How do they differ practically, like in the day in, day out? From waking up to going to bed, how would one look different than the other? Would there be differences on the outside or is it only just from your inner self? I, th- I think it's both. I think from the inner, the inside, it's, you know, am I thinking about myself more today or am I thinking more about Jesus and how he wants me to serve those that I'm around and love those that I'm around? You know, am I mm-hmm. seeking out, you know, to help my neighbor who's going through a hard time? Am I going to reach out to um, a friend that needs something today and I can, you know, make the choice to stay at home and isolate myself or I can make the choice to go over to a friend's house who's struggling and go pray with her, you know, or, you know, there's little decisions that we make every day that are either for ourselves or for the glory of God. And, um, and I think that's up to each one of us to really discern and, and ask ourselves those questions, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, is this to better me or is this to further the gospel or, is it so that my kids will know more about Jesus? Am I going to, you know, my oldest two now are nine and seven and they can read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's awesome. Like they can read on their own, <laughs> you know, so at bedtime, you know, am I going to make the choice to just, okay, guys, have fun reading for the, the next 20 minutes. I'll come in and turn the light out. Or am I going to go in there and read the Bible with them or books with them before they go to bed just because they're nine and seven doesn't mean that they don't want mommy to continue to read stories to them and I remember when they were little little and when I say little little like three and two we would read the storybook bible to them every night Mm -hmm. and even we we don't do that anymore I'm like why don't we do that anymore you know we (laughs) we we started going back in and being like no we're going to it doesn't matter if you can read the stories to us. Now you can read the stories to us, but we're going to be in there and spend intentional time with you because some of the sweetest times we have with our kids are right before bed when they're trying to calm down. It can also be some of the frustrating times, right? <laughs> like say, sometimes it's like, like a little I don't want to go to bed. <laughs> well, lots of running around when we're supposed to be laying down. I know. How, I know. Do, you keep your, how do you keep yourself from over, you know, the I should, I should really 
maximize each moment. Like my dad just passed away and there's this, uh, maybe I shouldn't have been this and I should have chose this so that I could have eked every last second. And with someone you love, there's just never enough time, never enough. enough time with them. So how do you also do the balance of, um, you know, like you said, not everything's frivolous, but you need time with those friends and you need time to fill up as a mom and, how do you keep yourself from overdoing the intentionality? <laughs> Grace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if we're left up to ourselves, our sin's going to win every time. Yeah. We have to make the conscious decision to not go to our sin. But no, there's grace. You know, there's, I don't want to use the word balance either. And and I'm not, <laughs> this podcast might seem really intense, but I'm not really that intense of a person. I like to laugh a lot. Well, I could tell watching that video. I'll put a link in the show notes to the video (laughs) so they can see and picture you. Because, yes, you're very full of life and silliness and running around with your boys. Part of me was like, sit down. (laughs) You can't run around. Like, I wanted to protect you and bubble wrap you. But but you you are full of life and joy. Yeah. And so, I don't know. It's just fun things. We do fun things together. Um, Yeah. I'm not answering your question. Well, I think it's a hard question for us as moms every day. I think we hold this really high bar of intentionality sometimes. And when we fall short, we then, like you said, don't give ourselves grace. We beat ourselves up. I could have done that better. I I should have not gotten frustrated during homework time. Or I think any of us, whether we have, you know, a diagnosis and each day does matter or we don't, we, we have to weigh that. And like you said, it's sin that's causing us to feel like we need to keep that bar high and and reach it in our own efforts. And um, it's grace that says that's not earning me worth or value. (laughs) Um, There's never enough time with those people and Mm -hmm. uh, to allow God to trust him. And, And that's my next question for you is how has your trust in God changed? Because I'm guessing, I'm guessing like a normal human being would when tragedy struck, there was probably a, a questioning of that part of his character. Can he be trusted? I think the first thing was, is that I had to come to realize that God didn't make a mistake hmm. and how he created me, that God also, our sufferings are not a surprise to him. Things don't happen outside of his foreknowledge, right? Yeah. And so for me, if if God is who he says he is, And he is not man who's, you know, God's yes is always yes and his no is always no. You know, I prayed a lot for more and more faith. Honestly, he was very faithful to increase my faith, to believe that he is who he says he is and that his character never changes. And if his character never changes, then he's a God that's trustworthy and he's a God that's real and he's a God that loves me like he says he loves me in his Bible. I'm very, I'm very, very blessed. Like physically, the Lord is restoring my heart. Um, And even though I'm at risk to go into my bad heart rhythm at any point, um, God has kept me from needing a heart transplant. Like He is not 100% healed me. I'm no longer in the failing category. And so I feel very, very blessed to say that because a lot of People that go through suffering, that's not the case. A lot of women that get cancer, you know, don't survive that. But God is still good. 
no matter the next suffering that, you know, John and I go through, I know that no matter what comes, I'm going to be okay because of Jesus. And I know that he's going to work out the sufferings and the hard for his glory and for my good. And I know that because now I've experienced it. I don't just have head knowledge of it, but I've experienced his, the goodness that all of my heart disease has brought into my heart and my soul. And he like gives you eyes to see it in the midst of it. I feel like you even write about it, how even the fact that you had a C-section with your first son and that would be like, ah, it's not what my plan was. Yeah. But because you did, you had to have another C-section, which meant that you were being highly monitored during your labor and how even then, um, you know, I'd love for you to tell people when you went into that moment when you were getting your C-section that God was fully present and you felt his presence in a way. Oh, yes. Um, So when my eyes closed on the operating table, I was covered in a place of just brightness and light. Hmm. And I was in, I really just believe that I was in the presence of the Lord um, or his presence was covering me. I mean, I literally, I can still close my eyes right now and be back in that place of where my blood vessels, I could feel them dilating all the way down to the tips of the toes. And I felt warmth and I felt peace and I felt like I didn't want to leave that place. I didn't want to leave his presence. It took me a really long time to admit what I had experienced that day because I felt <laughs> a little selfish because I didn't want to leave. I didn't necessarily want to come back. I didn't, and I didn't need to say goodbye to John. And I never needed to see the face of my sweet baby boy that was being born in that moment or rush home to see <laughs> little Noah. Like where I was and being in God's presence was better than the best things that are in my life this side. And I don't, I think that's the great mystery of God that I don't know until we have an experience like you did, we're going to really grasp because we think no way could it be better than (laughs) this person God put in my life that I love so much. I know I was in the hospital and they're about to take my dad to hospice. And I met this woman who's cleaning the hospital rooms, like, you know, quietly doing her job, serving, messiest of messes she's cleaning up and we just she smiled her smile is huge and every time she left the room she said grace and peace and sweet sweet and I'm talking to her and she had a similar experience to you and she was in God's presence she said it was so light and beautiful and peaceful and she said I did not want to come back and I my daughter she said my daughter got mad at me when I came back to this you know awareness and she said I my daughter was mad that I would want that over being with her but she said it's hard for those that are left behind, but it is wonderful those who go into God's presence. It is, um, and I think that's that's that gift that He gave you to hold on to in the midst of balancing the here and the hereafter. Yes, it's a beautiful part of your story that I want to make sure everyone listening heard <laughs> because that is the hardest thing to describe: goodness in the midst of trial. Count yeah. it all joy, brothers, when you experience trials of any kind, like. What that doesn't that does not make sense to our it's mind. So, so counterintuitive to the world. Yeah, really, we should go through hard things. Well, yes, we should. And you know what? <laughs> Jesus is going to bring amazing things the, yeah. um, from it. The goal isn't to avoid all hard things, which we think yeah. the goal is to protect our kids at all costs and um, 
and keep ourselves from all harm. Uh, and you, even when you got diagnosed, were told a horrible, hard part that we haven't even said uh, as a mom, a horrible information you were given was that you were, should not have any more children biologically, that, yeah. that it was decided for you that your family was finished and talk to us about that and what God did through that part of your story. You know, when we were first told that, um, Hunter was six weeks old. <laughs> and yes. so at that point, <laughs> we were like, oh, that's okay. I haven't slept in six weeks. I don't need another one. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. but I, you know, I grieved that news when Hunter was two years old, mm. you know, because mm. that's when yeah. the point came that we would have, you know, possibly tried to have a third. And, you know, I would, oh my gosh, I was so illogical. I mean, my husband had to have a vasectomy because I wasn't, safe enough to have my tubes tied or, mm, you yeah, know, have, yeah. you know, be on birth control or whatever. And so, um, John got a vasectomy and I like cried every month when I started my period because mm. I was like hoping that God would like perform this miracle and like mm. <laughs> not get pregnant. It was so awful anyways. But yeah, I really did. It was sad. It was yeah. sad, but God knew better. God knew what our family needed. The Lord really opened up doors, and I have a third little baby boy in our life that we had through adoption, and that was just a miracle in itself. Because when you try to adopt with <laughs> the medical history that I have, um, right. everybody said no. Right. No, and no, and no, and no, and no. But there was one sweet lady that loved the Lord that was convicted by the Holy Spirit that said, yes, I need to find you, your child. Mm. We would never have written the story for our family as well as God ended up writing the story for our family. It's incredible. So it's incredible. Now, what do you hope when people read this book, what do you hope that they'll get out of it? I really hope that people will see the nearness of God in their lives, that they would seek out God's presence in their lives. And I pray that people would will find hope in knowing that one day their faith will become sight. And when we hope knowing that our faith will become sight one day, when we see Jesus face to face, then whatever we face this side of heaven is going to be worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. Well, Julie, we really appreciate you sharing your story, your family, writing this book. Is there a place online they can find you? I know that you're not like some writers who blogged first and then wrote a book. but I'm not. See, that's so that's... awesome because I'm just an ordinary person. <laughs> you're, you're a great mom that we totally can just learn from and relate to. Uh but they can find your book. I'll put all the links in the show notes. And thank you so much for being here today. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, Heather. This has been really great. Well, we are praying for you and your sweet family and those three crazy boys. I'm sure you and I could have lots of conversations about that. <laughs> we <Major good. laughs> good. Next time. Next time. Next time. All right. Thanks, Julie. Have a great day. You too. Bye, Heather. Bye.
All right, before we sign off, I just want to say a quick word for the mom who is listening, and this episode may have caused some additional fear or anxiety in you. Um, perhaps you're more prone to worrying about health issues, and you're wondering if, you know, am I okay? Am I walking around and not knowing I have a heart condition or your kids and and you live in that constant state of fear that something might happen to your kids or to you or to your husband. And um, I thought I'd just share with you something that I've learned in the last few months, having gone through what we've gone through with my dad passing away suddenly and my mom and her health concerns. Uh, I have constantly lived with fear as part of my story. Um, as a little girl, I was scared all the time. Ridiculous fears. Like I had a very safe upbringing, but I would imagine that like robbers were going to come in through my bedroom window, even though I was on the second floor, even though there were like no trees around, they'd have to bring a ladder. I would sleep with my covers over my head and sleep as still as I could. Um, and other fears that I had all growing up, I lived a pretty safe existence in fear of something bad happening. Um, my dad as well. And I will tell you those last few weeks of his life, um, the last thing I wanted was for him to pass away. I, I did everything in my power to see the right doctors, to get the right information. I even convinced myself of a whole different medical story that was going on than the reality of his cancer. And I will tell you coming on the other side of it, None of that fear was going to change the outcome. None of that fear was going to make my plan come to fruition. What was going to happen was going to happen. And I really was caught in the reality of all that fear being wasted. Um, That God's presence was still there that whole time. That his grace provided in little details and ways that I've shared before that uh, we were amazed at the details and ways God worked things out. I still lost my dad. That thing that I was so terrified of happening happened, but God was still there and he has comforted me in ways I couldn't have imagined. And, and I just, if you're in that place of fear, I know God tells us over and over in the Bible, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And it goes, you know, it's one of those things that we can know, but not know in our hearts. We can know with our heads and not our hearts. And and you may not know, and I'm still sinking in for me, can I know with my heart to not fear? But I have tasted a little glimpse of what it's like to experience your worst fear and find God faithful. So I don't know if that's an encouragement to you, but I would say if you're in that place, talk to God and say exactly what you're afraid of. Tell him your fear. And then it won't have the power over you that it probably does right now. Surrender it to him. Say, I am scared this will happen. I need you to remind me of what's true. I don't know if that's helpful for you today. I hope it is. And if you're that mom who's mothering alone and you don't have a lot of friends around you to talk with or to walk this road with, I know you heard Julie share her little group of friends. I don't want you to mom alone. I'd love for you to have a group of a couple friends that you met with regularly. And I'm willing to help you do that by providing the curriculum for y'all to talk about. So I've started these GCM podcast clubs. Basically, 
It's very organic. I leave a lot of the details up to you, pretty much all the details up to you. You decide when you meet, where you meet, who you're going to meet with, and I just provide the podcasts and the discussion questions for you to talk about. So if you are interested in something like that and you know of one or two or three gals you'd like to invite to meet with you on a regular basis or irregular basis or every once in a blue moon, um, go to godcentermom.com backslash podcast club and you can get the details about that. Y'all are amazing. Thank you once again for sharing. Thank you for your testimonies that you send me about how God is changing your heart. And that is a humbling thing to be a part of your story and your journey and your family and how you're all pursuing him. Uh, it's amazing. And, and you're sharing in ways that I couldn't orchestrate. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for telling your friends about the show. Uh, y'all are amazing. Have a great week. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping Him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and He is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.